and uh, it is a real privilege to be able to share with you, and how about we just, just pray a little on that, that Father God, what is shared now is your word, and not some invention of, of mine, Lord, we pray that that your word would go out now and would find a place in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits. Lord, that your spirit would confirm these things. And anything, Lord, which is not of you will just be forgotten. But Lord, we desire to step into, Lord, your plan for us and to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. So pray, Lord, that you would do that and continue that work in us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Apparently, Jesus was a carpenter. Uh, or so we read in the scriptures, or to be more accurate, a tectone. Tectone is the Greek word that is used, and it's used twice in scripture. Once in reference to Jesus, and once in reference to Joseph, his adoptive father. Despite the common translation, tectone is a much bigger word than carpenter. Uh, carpentry is an honourable profession uh, for the most part. I uh, know some onto it carpenters who do some good work. And then there are the other guys. Either way, uh, the term is potentially limiting in that... Um, we have an idea of what we think a carpenter is and what a, what a carpenter does. And the more I read the words of Jesus, the, the more I'm convicted to see that Jesus had a lot more going on in his background than that. And I believe that Jesus' background is, is important, just like I believe my background is important. Uh, Jesus defines who I am. I am his son, and he has a purpose and a plan for me. But he has led me along a very interesting journey and tried to pull me out a lot of messes. And the experiences that I've had in my life have also shaped who I am. They've shaped my understanding of things. Uh, they have given me a wealth of experience to minister to people from, to preach from. And it's that that I, I touch on a little bit this, this morning, that Jesus preached these amazing sermons and... He had this incredible gift of taking these deep spiritual truths and putting them into words that normal everyday people could understand. And he shared analogies from carpentry and from farming and from fishing and from viticulture or making wine and construction. And certainly when you read through his preaching, you see that he didn't actually preach a lot on woodworking. He didn't use woodworking analogy so much, but he did talk a bit about building with stone. And he was, it seems, very interested in foundations and how important that was. So we've got this word tectone, um, which we use. Tectone is important uh, here in New Zealand, and that's because our whole country is uh, sitting on this big, fat, ugly, uh, 
boundary of two tectonic plates. If you understand the geology of this world, uh, we're actually sitting on these unstable uh, plates uh, on a big ball of molten magma. We're right in the middle of one of these dangerous things, so uh, every now and then things get a bit crazy, and our cities collapse, and our volcanoes erupt. This is, this is tectone, tectonic plates. There's this idea of God has, has formed this earth from building blocks. He's put it together, and this is important to us because things get crazy from time to time. So we need to factor that into how we live where we build, how we build. Tectone can mean carpenter, but it can also mean the equivalent of builder, craftsman, stonemason, engineer, and architect. So we look through what are, what's this life experience that Jesus is drawing from when he's, when he's preaching. He uh, certainly, there were a number of times he spoke from fishing, and we have no uh, reason to believe Jesus was a fisherman, though he did establish his mission once he stepped into public ministry in a fishing town, and he surrounded himself with fishermen. That was a big part of the economy, so he knows the basics of fishing, and if you've been out on a boat, you get the basics of fishing. The deal with his building, though, and his building analogies is that he displayed a real knowledge of what's going on and how important it is. He used analogies from contexts that he was familiar with, and that's something that we all try to do as well. If you're going to compare something to something else and preach from it, you actually have to know what you're talking about. You have to have some of this experience. So um, I draw on that when I'm preaching, and I know that Greg and the others do as well. How many football analogies do we get? This is something that, that Greek has lived and experienced and he's passionate about. And I don't know, maybe you're going to hear a few more homebrew stories coming from me as, as God is leading me on a different journey. I'm seeing his, his work. It's awesome. But yeah, Jesus really understood building and, and foundations. In Luke Chapter 6, from verse 47, he says, As for those who come to me and hear my words and put them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But those who hear my words and do not put them into practice are like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. In Matthew 16, from verse 17, he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death will not overcome it. And as an illustration on counting the cost of discipleship, Jesus shared in Luke 24, from verse 28, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. 
houses in the in the first century Palestine uh, weren't built the same way that most of our houses are built here in New Zealand, certainly not in Wellington. Uh, what do we build with primarily in Wellington? Wood, timber. New Zealand was blessed with a lot of forests, most of which we've totally destroyed. But we still build with um, wood primarily. Uh, that was not the case in first century Palestine. Wood was not as abundant and it had to mostly be imported at some cost. So people built with stone and mud as kind of a mortar. That's what most buildings, certainly the common ones, were, were made with. It was interesting uh, being in Christchurch last weekend, seeing just the devastation around, around particularly the, the central city and seeing what came down and what didn't. And it was, it was interesting because you don't see a lot of brick in New Zealand, but in, in Christchurch, the brick buildings and the churches just came down. Just, it, was, it was horrible. Uh, except for the church that we um, that we I was I was ministering in at this gorgeous wooden building and that was that was still up, but it was stone that was that was used in Palestine. When we think of Jesus as a carpenter, it is helpful to think not so much of a craftsman making tables and chairs, but as a master builder designing and constructing buildings from the ground up in stone. Quoting Psalm 118, verse 22, Jesus says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Have you heard that verse before? That would not surprise me if you had. Those exact words are recorded six times in Scripture in six different books. That's a lot, right? Six times this verse is quoted. Psalm 118, Matthew 21, Mark 12, Luke 20, Acts 4, and 1 Peter 2, 7. God likes this verse. It's an interesting one to like, I might think, but he likes this verse. He thinks it's important that we hear this and we meditate on it. Or well, why else would he keep repeating it? John three sixteen. how many times is that in there? In that wording, only once. And that for us is the be and all end all. That's the whole Bible for us right there. But there's other stuff in there that God really wants us to take up. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone concept is derived from masonry. Building from stone. And when you're going to be building a structure... You would lay out a foundation and you would start, after plotting it out, you'd start with a single stone. You'd start with the cornerstone or foundation stone. This is the first stone that you would put down. And you can't just throw the stone down. This stone sets up the entire building. Where it is and how it is set and how it is shaped is hugely important because every other stone that you lay on the foundation after that is set in reference to and built from the cornerstone. So if you've established a plot of land that you can use and you've worked out the parts of the land that are stable, you've determined which way you want the building to be oriented, where the doors are going to be, where's the light going to be coming in, how big can this building be based on this land, what's the function, all of this is, comes into the design. 
But if you don't set the foundation right, by setting the cornerstone right, all of that is out the window. You've stuffed the whole thing. Suddenly your building doesn't fit on your land. It's facing the wrong way. People can't get in. The light, you've lost the light completely. The function of the building is lost. The foundation is now unstable. One of the walls is falling down. Everything starts with a solid and strong foundation. And a foundation starts with the cornerstone. The cornerstone determines where the building will be and which way it will be facing. You start building with the cornerstone. And six times in scripture, God tells us about this cornerstone. He was the one that the builders rejected. But he is the one that sets up everything else. He is the one that establishes the firm foundation for everything God is going to be building. Jesus is our cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected. The Messiah, the religious leaders rejected. We start with him. Everything we build, everything that God builds through us, everything that God builds with us, starts with the cornerstone of Christ. We start with his example, his values, his teaching. We start with his plan, his principles, his priorities. We start with his goal, his design, his methods. We start with his character, his power, and his spirit. I've been, I've been working in churches and parachurch organizations in, in New Zealand for about 12 years now. And I have seen all kinds of things being built. And I have relationships with churches all over the place. And, and people, are, people are building. One thing Christians are is busy. We're busy people. We're always doing something. We're always building something. But what are we building? Are we building what he wants us to build? Or are we building some cool structure that we think is important, that makes us feel good? Interesting fact. Well, interesting to me. Spiritual gifts. What do you think was the first spiritual gift that the Bible talks about being anointed on someone, infilling of the Holy Spirit? What do you think is the first, uh, the first spiritual gift uh, explicitly mentioned in Scripture? Hmm? Faith, you could make an, an argument for that. Oh, there we go. A Bible scholar. Yeah, uh, well, we're gonna, we'll talk about that. You'd like to think it was something big and huge like miracles or healing or something, something cool. Okay, Joseph certainly had a gift of interpreting uh, dreams. So that's something obviously the Holy Spirit was involved in. And, and we saw Moses do some pretty amazing things. Um, but there's this really cool verse in Exodus I want us to just have a quick look at. Um, because the first mention of an infilling of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts bestowed on someone is actually to, to design and build beautiful and functional things so that God could be glorified 
and that people could engage with him in worship. Exodus chapter 31, verse 1 to 11. And the Lord says to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stone, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I've appointed Aholiav, son of Achesamach of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the ark of the covenant with the atonement cover, all the furnishings of the tent, the table, its articles, the gold lampstand, its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron and the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, the anointing oil and fragrant essence for their holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. You would have thought, based on, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 and a whole lot of other verses, that the spiritual gift would be a bit more spiritual than that. You could be excused for for thinking that. But he pours out a spirit, not just on one guy, not just two guys, but a whole crew of craftsmen and workers to elevate their skill to a spiritual, supernatural level. Why? Because God cares about how we make things. He really cares. Even building things for the church, he wanted it to be done right. Because it was for him, and it was to help people engage with him. He wanted it to be pure. He wanted it to be amazing and godly in its design and in its, in its construction. And so he poured out a spiritual gift and anointing to design and make things. That is really cool, particularly if you are, if, if you are handy, if you like to design things, to create things. Take encouragement from that. God can take what he's given you to a whole other level for his glory and to see his kingdom built. Man, I want more of that so that the work of my hands is something that's beautiful and honors him. That's cool. It's important to God that things are made right, are made well, and made according to his plan. And when we do work in his spirit to his plan, the building lasts. An accurate, godly construction starts with the cornerstone of Jesus. And once you've got Christ at the core, you lay your foundation around him. A big question that we have been starting to explore and will continue to explore for some time to come is is this question. What actually is God building here? What is he calling us to build and what does he want to build through us? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are going to spend some time over the next couple of months digging deep into that verse. 1 Peter 2, 4-6 As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by people, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. First up, God is building us. We are his building. His building doesn't have an address so much. It's us. It's, it's people. It's a community. And he has a design. He's planned us out. He knows what he wants us to look like. He has set and established the most stable and solid foundation there could be. Christ, the cornerstone a foundation of the apostolic word, the prophetic word, apostles and prophets. On this, he has built his church. But we're a funny old building. Somehow, with a bit of a shake, we managed to wobble off our foundation a bit. We allow things to distort and damage the foundation. We start building on extra rooms that, I don't know if God really wanted us to do that. We start building something which looks good to us, something that we think we need. An extra conservatory here, a rumpus room, a man cave. I don't know, a craft room with your sewing. I don't know. Whatever you guys do. Yeah, I do, I do. And so church starts to look a lot more like us and our interests rather than looking like what God had always designed it to. It's, it's, it's a building for our convenience. It's an entertainment center. It's a mega mall that has everything that we want. So pretty much people want to come to a church which serves their needs, which has everything they want. Has the music that they want, at the volume that they want it. has the right children's programs to suit them. Hopefully some babysitting as well, which is helpful. Interest groups, which mean they can make friends and explore their things together and walk away feeling like it's actually something that is godly and they're doing church. We create these amazing edifices, these huge buildings for ourselves and somehow think that this is what God wanted. Greg has had a profound prophetic word spoken over him uh, recently. And it's something that I've certainly seen uh, to be true. That God has been ripping down. He's been ripping down a lot of this. A lot of what we've put up. Because it's not what he wanted. 
God has something very special in store for us. But for that to exist on the foundation of the cornerstone and the apostles and prophets, we've got to pull down some stuff. Man, and it's more than brave what Greg's been doing against popular opinion. A lot of things that people liked have had to be moved on, pulled down, because it's, it's fine, but it's not what God wanted for us. That's not how you make friends. Fortunately for us, Greg's not interested in making friends. He has a calling on him to lead us into the destiny God has for us and to build in the way that God has called us to. It's not always pleasant. It's not always fun. But thanks, man. God is building us. He is building a church. And he is building a kingdom. There's something different in those words that we're going to explore uh, in future weekends. He is doing it with us as both the building blocks and as his laborers. So he is building us into something, but he is also building something through us, with us. We have co-laborers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 9. We are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, this is Paul talking, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So I want to apologize first up. I've been dropping some very heavy, potent scripture, and we're not going to take time now to really get into it because there's so much there. But I really want it this morning... Uh, to serve as an introduction to what I'm sure is going to be a very profound journey into what God is looking to build here and what our part is. So rest assured, each one of these verses, we're going to be digging into it deeply, and there's some amazing stuff to be found. Now what is clear, obviously, to us all is that, and particularly if you have any knowledge of of the history of the rock, is that something has already been built here. Um, We have been building cool stuff for decades, and I certainly want to honor what has gone before. Very cool things have gone before in different seasons under different vision. Uh, I, was in Christ, I was in Palmerston North where I started my ministry and I'm hearing about the amazing things about this church in Wellington called The Rock that was, was having influence um, nationally in, in, the, in the way this church approached mission, the way this church approached uh, meeting with um, the community, meeting in the marketplace and reaching out to young people. And that was awesome, and there was, I believe, some apostolic leadership in that. But we're in a new season, people. And God has something more and new for us. If you've been in a coma for the last two years, (laughs) maybe you missed the amazing prophetic revelation that we are now journeying into. Have you heard these words? Who we were is not who we are now. Who we are now is not who we're going to be. Cindy Ruakiri. 19 September 2010. Two years ago this week. And I've not heard anything spoken aloud in this place that has had so much. Oh, just transformational power. That was the word of God. Thus saith the Lord when that came out. And that has launched us into the most exciting direction. But we need to grab hold of that and believe in it and let go of the past. Who we were is not who we are now, but 
This is not who God destined us to be. He's got something more in store. We've got to grow. We've got to be transformed. We've got to move. We've got to get up. We've got to do stuff. God has been stripping us back to the original foundation he laid for us, a foundation of apostles and prophets and Christ as the cornerstone. And he's looking to build something that is going to really transform our city and disciple our nation. So the question for us all this morning is, or one of the questions we could ask is, why are we here? And from time to time I ask this question because I come to understand that there are a lot of different motivations that bring people to a community and bring them to a Sunday morning gathering. Who would have enjoyed a sleep in this morning? Why didn't I sleep in? Other than the fact that I'm contractually obliged to be here right now. <laughs> if I'd stayed in bed, I would have got in trouble. But also, I would have missed out on something really awesome. I would have missed out on a powerful corporate encounter with the living God. I would have missed out on his word and his ministry as he seeks to transform me. And that's not to say that Jesus can't transform me in my bed. I just don't see it happening much. My experience is that lying in bed, I'm not conformed to the likeness of Christ so much. There aren't lots of stories of Jesus sleeping. But um, that's my flesh. But yeah, there, there, are lots of, there are lots of reasons why, why people choose to get up on, on a Sunday morning and come here. And, and of course, the coming here on a Sunday morning isn't even what this is all about. Why does this all exist, this organization, this gathering of people? Why do we put on services? Why do we prepare and deliver messages? Why do we perform music, collect your money, hire staff, run programs? Why do we do this? Don't we have better things we could do with our time? We need to understand that this is all for a very, very special reason. God has pulled together an amazing, diverse group of very gifted and just lovely people. Here, that's the rock. I just love being a part of this. I love being a part of you. I love seeing you and seeing what's in you and, and making relationships with you and seeing what God has put on you. I love the influence you have on me and on my family. This place has been really good for my family. It really has in terms of growing us towards Christ, seeing my girls coming up through this environment, seeing what it's done in, in me and Leslie. I've been in church for, you know, for, for a long time, and God has used different environments to do things in me, but I don't know what has happened in the last four years is just phenomenal in me. And those who know me, really know me, and those who work with me, <laughs> they could tell you stories. There's some interesting play stories out there, but God is just doing great things here, and he's doing it in this community. There's something very special about this unique gathering of people, this, this community that God's building. And the uniqueness is important. This specific combination of people is here for a purpose. 
And I, when I say here, I don't mean just this meeting, but I mean called to this community. And that's because God has a very unique purpose for this community, for the rock. He has something specific that he's looking to build. And he wants to build that with us. We are the building blocks of this amazing building that is going to be bringing light and salt and transformation to our city. And it's going to look and feel and sound a certain way. And that's because because you're here, because you're a part of it. Because you are here, your voice, your flavor, your character will influence who we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about how we are all given unique spiritual gifts for the common good. And that each one of us is important and necessary and needs to be honored. Because each one of those gifts, and not just gifts, but also the personality that goes behind it and the passion, they create this amazing body, this building that transforms the city. And when we don't release ourselves and engage in what God is building, the building is lesser for it. It lacks the faith that we could add to it. It lacks our character. It lacks our gifts. The building is lesser. It is less strong. It is weaker because we're not making a contribution. We're not letting God build with us. We are here for a reason. This is why we exist. This is our purpose. How are we going to be building? By growing in our knowledge of him, by loving others, by loving each other, and by walking together. This is the path he is laying out before us. How are we going to miss out on fulfilling our destiny and receiving the inheritance he has put aside for us in eternity? By continuing to play church, turn up on Sunday when we feel like it, tick the religious boxes, by building walls around our own priorities and ambitions, neglecting the work of God's kingdom, which lasts forever. We can't help but be consumed by the world around us, the mortgage ambitions at work, the demands of of our families and, and, and all kinds of things. They are just so present that we can't shake them. And so they shape pretty much everything that we do and Every now and then we can break free and we hear God's voice a little bit or we pull in a, in a more spiritual direction and maybe we'll help out a little bit in, in church or maybe we'll put an extra dollar or two into a special offering. But but our world is all this other stuff. And it's totally understandable. And I live in that world too. I have all those demands on me. But when we let those things consume us, we miss out on everything that he has for us. It's so easy just to get trapped in this very temporal world where we only see what's right in front of us and we miss out that there's this amazing kingdom of God, a spiritual realm which lasts forever. Everything else right in front of us just is fleeting. It's, it's, it's meaningless. But there is this eternal kingdom and I'm not talking about heaven, I'm talking about a kingdom that God is establishing here on earth right now. He's called us to it. He's called us to build it with him. To really build it, we need to look past the other stuff.
I believe God wants you to have a house and he wants you to keep up with your mortgage and all those other things. But that's not what you're here for. It's not, it's not your purpose. Accumulating wealth. The Kiwi dream of a quarter acre section. Uh, uh, we're in Wellington. It's not, it's not, it's not a quarter acre. So our challenge is to try to see past all that. Take care of that business. Honour the Lord in everything we do. But see, that's not what it's about. And it's, this, even this, this is part of it. God wants us to build his church. He's going to build his church with us. But this is, this is still a part of it as well. There's something even bigger than that outside of that. This kingdom God is looking us to build with him influencing a nation, discipling a nation. That's stuff he wants you to do at work. So, so here it is. You, you go to work because, because you have to, because you've got bills to pay and you've got to do that. And if you do a good job, you'll continue to collect a salary and that's all fine. But what you have in that is this whole sphere of influence. You're at work and you can be there building kingdom because you recognize that you're a kingdom builder. Not just an accountant, not just, just a nurse, not just a teacher, those things are cool. Those things are important. But you are a kingdom builder. You're an ambassador of the living God. And you're an ambassador in the marketplace, in, in your work environment, in your spheres of influence. And you can bring what God has put in you, and you can touch all those lives around you. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that every chance you get, you whip out steps to peace with God and try to lead every co-worker that you encounter to Christ you know if the spirit leads you to do that I'll hook you up with some tracks it's fine but we have we have we have that but we have so much more as well are you going to be a beacon of light in your workplace that when people encounter you they have an encounter with God as his spirit is in you it is flowing from you you are a freak in your workplace because unlike so many around you you are so filled with his love Love is freaky when you really encounter it because it's unusual, selfless, humble love. That's what you take into your workplace. You're the one who's carrying the peace of God. When everything is crazy around you, you have peace and that comes from a faith that God is with you and it's going to be okay. And so you're a beacon. People are drawn to you because of the peace that you have. You're filled with hope and you're just kind. That is kingdom influence. And then people want to know the reason for the hope that you have. Why are you such a weirdo that I just want to be around you? Why are you so full of hope? That's where our evangelism starts. That is building kingdom. The church is not about meeting our needs. It's about meeting the world's need for a saviour and a redemptive community that can help people find him and follow him to the same incredible destiny and inheritance that we have lined up for us. (coughs) To fulfil the calling that God has placed on us as a church, we need everyone on board. And I'm confident it sounds cheesy, but we need to stop thinking about what our church can do for us. Think about what we can be doing for our church. I'm sorry that we don't do everything the way that you would like. 
I'm sorry, we don't have all the programs you would like. Um, but it can't be about what we like. We have the chance to do something very special together. And we need all of us to do this. And we will not be the same if we don't all get involved in this. Surrender ourselves to it. I know some of this could sound quite full on for some of you, and I certainly don't mean to offend anyone. What I want you to hear is that God has something incredibly significant in store for us as a church. And as a church, we need to receive it. We need to own it, and we need to step into this together. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take faith. Faith that some of us might not have yet. It's going to require some realignment. We've already moved quite a way, but there's a long way to go. It's going to take some hard work, blood, sweat, tears, prayers, money, time. And God has given us all of that. God is faithful and has provided and will provide everything we need to build what he has called us to. In fact, he's already put it in our hands. But our hands are like that. We are holding on to it so hard because we see it as ours and it's precious to us rather than his kingdom being precious to us and him being precious to us. So the more we can just relax and let go and let him do what he wants to do in us and through us, oh, the work he's going to do is going to be amazing. I don't know why he does it. But he chooses to work through us. He could just do it all himself. He could just zap people and it would be all sweet. But he doesn't want to work that way. He wants to work through us. He wants to use us. And in that process, we are transformed into these amazing reflections of Christ. And that's what I want. The more I let him work in me and through me, the more I'm transformed into his likeness. And I've got a way to go. And if you know me, you know I've got a way to go. So help me. I, um, I need you to help me as well. I don't want you to think because I'm here and I've got the microphone that I've got it all sorted out. God is still doing a huge work in me and I've still got things I need to let go of as well. But it's okay because I've got him, I've got his word, and I've got you guys. So I need your encouragement, I need your reproof, your challenges, I need your prayer, I need your example. And uh, I'm hoping that I can, I can do the same for you and use whatever influence I have and whatever gifts I have to help lead my friends here towards what God has in store for us. Are you ready to help him build his church and his kingdom? Are you ready to do what he calls you to do? Are you ready to give what he calls you to give? Are you ready to be who he calls you to be? I want to be ready. And I want to help you get ready. So let's help each other. Thank you.